Hello and welcome to... <clears throat> hmm. Hello and welcome <laughs> to this episode of the ESG Fitness Podcast. It started well, that's for sure. I wanted to do a podcast today on how to do it yourself, which the savvy of you might be thinking, that is a strange thing to do, Emma, given that it is your job to be a personal trainer, it's your job to do this stuff, and if everyone did it themselves, then you wouldn't make any money. This is true. However, I've always been someone who puts out a hell of a lot of free information, and so far it's not done me any harm, and I think some I think quite a lot of PTs actually worry about putting out too much free information because they're then like, well, if I told someone how to do it themselves, then why would they pay me to do it? And I think what we miss is that in the age of information, like there is, if you want to look for information for something, if you want to figure out how to do something, the internet is full of information. In the age of information, you're not really paying for information when you work with someone, you're paying for applied information applied information to your specific circumstance, to your specific problem. If I wanted to go and figure out how to fix my car, which is actually broken at the moment, surprisingly enough, I could do it, but it's my time, my effort, sifting through all the crap information to find the right information and then applying that myself, getting all the tools, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You can see where I'm going with this. People still need your help even if they know what to do. And people don't actually pay me for information, they pay me for application. And they pay me for support and for the adjustments. They pay me for problem solving. They pay me for accountability, to change their mindset, for reassurance. I think that's something I'm noticing so much more now that, well, I think I attract very educated clients. And if they're not very educated when they come to me, they certainly are after working with me for a while or after listening to the podcast for a while. And so what they're paying for isn't new information after the first, I don't know, couple of months. They're often paying for reassurance and to apply that information to specific situations which are ever-changing throughout life. So this is my very long-winded way of saying, this is why I don't worry about giving out too much free information because hopefully it helps you and people will still need my help even if they have the information. So if this information can help anyone then I want it to be out there and I want it to be explained in a way that people understand and if you're listening to this and you think it could help someone please do share the podcast with them, that would be great. I've also, experience isn't the right word, what word am I looking for? seen maybe the word I'm looking for is seen nothing nothing too uh, extraordinary there just the word seen I've also seen a lot of anti-diet pushback at the moment and the whole diets don't work and you see the one side of people saying that and then you see the other side of like I don't know people like me saying diets do work they're just not it's often that people have chosen really poor diets or they don't have the right support or they don't focus on maintenance as, as much as they should and it's one thing saying that would be like, oh, you're doing the wrong diet, but then not giving them the information that would be much more useful for them to get long-term sustainable goals and diet in a sensible way. 
So that is what this podcast is about. And I'm going to keep it quite short and sharp and to the point, or at least try. So we're going to start with your setup. Now, this is under the assumption that you want to lose body fat. That is the first assumption we're making. This is your diet to lose body fat. And that's what people are saying when they say diets don't work, is that they're saying that people regain the weight that they lose during a diet. So the definition of a successful diet is maintaining weight loss. Just think about that again. The definition of a successful diet is maintaining weight loss. Most of us think about a diet and we think, oh, I lost this amount, thus it worked. It hasn't worked unless you can maintain it. And I think most of the research looks at at least six months follow-up. So you have to maintain that weight for six months. That is then a successful diet. Okay, so I'll get onto this. Maintenance calories is what we want to estimate. And I say estimate because, and I've been out, like I've been talking about this for ages on numerous podcasts. If you haven't already heard me talk about it, just listen to more of the podcasts. But maintenance calories will always be an estimate. You can go on any calorie calculator on the internet, anyone that's decent um, that comes up kind of top of Google should be absolutely fine. It probably is using the Harris Benedict equation and it will estimate roughly how many calories you require to maintain your weight. Now it does this in a very crude manner. So it does this by looking at your weight and your activity levels and your gender, but really all, all it's looking at there, oh sorry, your sex, really all, all it's looking at there is an estimate of how much of that weight will be lean body mass and how much of it will be fat mass because men tend to store more lean body mass than women. So you now have an estimate of your energy needs for the day, but as I said, pretty crude because it's not considering things like how much of that weight that you're carrying is fat how much of it is muscle we know that muscle is more metabolically active it's not considering if you've dieted before we know that previous dieting can slightly reduce your metabolic rate it doesn't show things like your i think it does take into account age which again can have an impact on metabolic rate but interestingly when you look at all the things that impact metabolic rate almost all of them impact it via an impact on your lean body mass. So the amount of muscle mass you are carrying compared to fat mass. So that's really the the key ingredient in how your weight impacts your maintenance calorie needs. But anyway, there are loads of nuances, loads of things that can mean that your maintenance calories might be slightly different than what that calculator says. None of these we can measure we can measure them in a metabolic chamber, which is a you know a closed room where you sit at rest and it will measure your resting um, metabolic rate. Now, that's not particularly useful because nobody sits in a closed room for a full day. Like that isn't how we live. So we still don't know what your maintenance calories are. We just know which how much of that is coming from resting metabolic rate. And then we add on your activity levels. So anyway... My point here, we've gone on a little bit of a ramble there and I'm going to try and keep it to the point. But the point here is simply that we have a starting point. It isn't perfect. It doesn't need to be perfect. But that's why it might need some adjust, some adjusting. But it's also why you don't need to scour the internet for the exact right formula for you because there isn't an exact right formula for you. You just need a starting point, And then from there, we need some good data on which to monitor and adapt from. So let's say 
your maintenance calories coming out at 2000 calories. It's a nice, easy number for me. If you want to then lose body fat, we want to create a sensible calorie deficit. Now, some people just go for 500 calories off, which for a lot of people will work. But if you are a quite a small woman who has an office job, say, and not a lot of muscle mass, you might find that your maintenance calories are, I don't know, 16, 1700. And if you whap off 500 calories, that's going to leave you like 1,100 to 1,200 calories to try and live on. And that is not sustainable. So although on higher calorie allowances, dropping 500 calories might work quite well for a lot of people, on the lower end, so for most women realistically, it's not it's not really going to work long term in terms of your adherence, your energy levels and maintaining as much lean body mass as possible. So instead of that, what I like to do is use a percentage. So let's take 20% off. So for 2000 calories, that's going to be 400 calories off. So that means that your dieting calories, if your maintenance calories were 2000, would be about 1600. Now, interestingly, from working with thousands of people, thousands of women, 1600 calories works for almost everyone. Like genuinely, like I know people think, oh, I need a specific thing for me. Like what if my activity levels are slightly different? And honestly, 1600 calories works for almost anyone apart from those at the extreme. So for example, if you're like, oh, but I also train for triathlon and I do six hours of um, exercise every single day. Obviously 1600 calories is not gonna be enough. But for most women, who are let's say anywhere between like, this is a huge generalization by the way, but anywhere between 60 and 85 kilograms and doing about 10,000 steps a day, 1600 calories up for fat loss works. Like it is that simple. You then just stick to that. And that's the secret is actually sticking to it. And to put this into some context, some people really stress about dropping their calories from say 1600 to 1500. And when you really think about it, okay, that's 100 calories a day drop. Now, depending on your food choices, the difference in adherence between sticking to 1500 and 1600 can actually be quite a lot. Especially if you're like, actually, I'm gonna save this extra 700 calories over the week for a nice big meal with my partner on a Sunday where I don't really have to think about calories. And I know that I've got more than enough to enjoy something tasty without going over my calorie budget for the week. If you're doing something like that and it's really helping your adherence, but you're thinking, oh, I think I'm gonna drop to 1500. I think I'm gonna drop to that as an average. And it's affecting your adherence. It, it is certainly not worth the extra less than a pound of fat you might lose that week from dropping those calories. So that's when you look at the mass of it, like 700 calories a day, uh, sorry 700 calories a week extra in terms of your deficit potentially and uh, that's going to equate to less than a pound of fat and all the effort it goes into to drop those extra 100 calories at that stage you've kind of got to look at the the pros and cons of dropping those calories and the cost benefit of that and actually it might be better to have marginally slower fat loss and keep those extra 100 calories in 
or to increase your energy expenditure. But I think people are so quick to drop their calories and it can actually be quite hard to drop 100 calories at from say 1600 to 1500. Not so much from like 2000 to 1900. But at that stage, it can be quite hard. And I just don't think the benefit is worth the cost of that in terms of people's adherence. And when they realize that it's actually less than half a pound of fat a week, that is such a small amount, you will almost definitely not see that on the scale, that it kind of puts it into perspective for people. Now, before I move on to how you want to set up your calories for fat loss, like within those 1600 calories or whatever your target is, how do I break that up into what I should be eating? What about my protein, my carbs, my fats? Before I get into any of that, I want to talk about just briefly why you shouldn't just drop your calories. And I know that this is tempting because there's a huge appeal of dropping calories. You can speed up the process and you will lose more weight. Like a bigger deficit will create more weight loss. But it will also likely mean that more of that weight is coming from lean tissue and not fat. And you may think that what you want is weight loss, but actually what you want is fat loss. It isn't weight loss. And more weight loss does not always equal more fat loss. Please remember that. More weight loss does not always equal more fat loss. A more severe energy deficit will decrease the percentage of weight loss that comes from fat and it will increase the percentage that comes from fat-free mass. And although you may be losing more total fat, I'm not going to feed you lies here, like if you're in a bigger deficit, it's very likely you will lose more total fat. You'll also be losing more lean body mass and retaining retaining fat-free mass, i.e. um, lean body mass or muscle mass is extremely important to your metabolic health, to your strength, to your fitness, to your longevity, even to your survival from cancer. And if none of that interests you, it's also what makes you look toned and not skinny fat. Not my words, I would never say that, but you know what I mean. Like it's the best way to describe when someone diets and doesn't resistance train and doesn't maintain lean body mass. And this is one of the like many, many, many reasons, along with things like adherence, enjoyment of food, exercise performance, your relationship with food, long-term dieting success, um, that it's extremely important to adopt a moderate energy restriction as opposed to extreme energy restriction. And I completely understand why that's tempting. Extremes are tempting. It's, it's easy like restrictive diets are actually quite easy especially if you're someone like me with quite an all or nothing mentality which I constantly work against now but it's very easy for me to stick to very restrictive diets like I don't find it hard at all balance is hard balance is really hard moderation is so hard but it's the hard things that are worth doing like it's so worth teaching yourself that you don't need to completely cut out chocolate that you can train yourself to enjoy chocolate and then not binge eat after it's so important that you get there because otherwise you will spend your life yo-yo dieting and not enjoying food 
you need to stop looking for shortcuts all of the time because that is not what works. What works is moderation and moderation is hard and it takes a little bit longer, but it is so worth it. Now, just because it's me and there are some caveats to this and I I just like to give the full context, there are some situations where very restrictive diets can be used and actually in very overweight people with a lot of body um, body fat to lose, so obese people, um, drastically cutting calories doesn't seem to have the same impact on loss of lean body mass. So there are specific times where you could say for example have someone who's obese massively cut their calories and they don't seem to lose much lean body mass probably because there's so much fat to lose that your body's preferentially gonna use that whereas anyone in like a quote-unquote normal weight range who's maybe just looking to drop a few pounds or is looking to get quite lean I would strongly recommend not doing extreme diets because you will lose a higher percentage of lean body mass. And hold on, let me just get out this study. Ah yes, here we are. So this study um, concluded that during prolonged starvation, protein loss and percent energy derived from protein oxidation are two to threefold less in obese people than they are in lean people. So we don't all react the exact same. And when you have a hell of a lot of body fat to lose, your body's gonna preferentially use that and maintain your lean body mass and spare your lean body mass. That doesn't happen as well in relatively lean individuals. So if you're at that very high end extreme level of obesity, then this may be something that you can use at least for part of your journey, because as you lose that weight, you will become leaner, you will have less of that body fat, and then maybe bringing up your calories, albeit still in a deficit, to a more moderate deficit towards the end of your diet, or as you become leaner, would be a sensible option. Anyway, I thought I, I thought this first point about estimating your maintenance and then chopping off 20% would, would actually not take that long, but hopefully that gives you some context as to why we don't want you just to drop calories to ridiculously low levels. And I think the important point here that I wanna make is that it's not just about adherence. Like a lot of people are like, yeah, but I can adhere to that. Okay, even if you can adhere to it, it doesn't mean that you should. And also just a side note on that, if you were adhering to it, you wouldn't need to lose body fat. So you're not adhering to it. Your definition of adherence is a six week diet that isn't the definition of dieting success because if you remember about 18 minutes ago i told you that dieting success was maintaining the weight loss maintaining the weight loss at six months at a year dieting success isn't how much you can lose in six weeks dieting success is maintenance and we need to celebrate that more like yes great clapping for you that I said that (laughs) clapping for you that you managed to lose 10 pounds on commit to six but come back to me in a year and show me that you've maintained that then I will take my hat off to you okay let's move on to your macronutrient setup so protein is by far the most important here and I'm, I, 
I have an internal struggle with this because uh, technically, so I'm going to tell you what the research says and then I'm going to tell you why I have the internal struggle. So the research would suggest that about 2 to 2.6 grams per kilogram body weight is the optimal to minimize loss of protein. And actually protein requirements when you're dieting are higher than when you're trying to build muscle. And that might be quite surprising to many, but really what we're trying to do when you diet is offset the reductions in muscle protein synthesis that accompany energy restriction. So when you're in an energy restricted state, you won't synth- uh, you won't um, synthesize protein in the same way. You won't have the same stimulation of muscle pr- protein synthesis rates. And if you don't have enough protein, then this may mean that you experience a higher percentage of the weight that you lose coming from lean body mass, which is not what we want. So we've already kind of touched on that. Now, on a practical level and more on an environmental level and on my own like feelings, that's a really high protein intake. And realistically, if we all did that, like as humanity, we'd be in a pretty bad situation in terms of the environment like it's very hard to get in that much protein without your the the environmental cost of your diet being very high i personally don't eat that much protein even though i know that technically that would be best to maintain as much lean muscle mass as possible which i am certainly for but i also don't think it's particularly responsible so there is the context and you do with it what you will. What I do do is make sure that I have three to four servings of at least 30 grams of protein a day. And most of the time, I don't actually track my calories or my protein, um, but I know roughly what that is and what that looks like. And most of the time, I would imagine that my protein intake is between 100 and 120 grams a day, which I think is pretty good pretty solid and I have some muscle and I'm you know not because yeah I don't know that's just a it's a lot it's a lot of protein but actually sorry just to put that into context I'm saying it's a lot of protein it's not a huge amount of protein for me because I didn't weigh that much like I weigh 58 kilograms so even if I had 2.6 grams of protein like I am probably actually now hitting close to that two grams per kilogram Um, And if I had 2.6, it'd be close to 150 grams. But when you have people who weigh 100 kilograms and they're having 200 grams of protein or 260 grams of protein, that's a lot. That's a lot. And if everyone was doing that, I just don't know if it's sustainable. If everyone weighed 58 kilograms, well, probably all right. So that's something to bear in mind. The other thing I would consider here is that if you do weigh say 100 kilograms but you know you've got 20 kilograms of fat to lose go on your lean weight so go on 80 kilograms so it would be two grams per kilogram body weight at 80 kilograms not 100 kilograms and the second macronutrient i want to discuss is fat fat is essential we have essential fatty acids which we need to get from the diet It's also very energy dense and I personally find less satiating on a diet. 
So when it comes to the sort of hierarchy of needs for fat loss, you've got your calories. We've then got protein. We know how important that is for maintaining lean body mass. Then it's kind of up to you how you want to distribute your fats and carbs. But I'm going to give you a little instruction here. Basically, I'm going to tell you what I do and what I usually suggest my clients do. And that is to drop fats to between uh, 0.5 and 1 gram per kilogram body weight. You can go higher if you want, if you're someone who just really prefers a higher fat diet and a lower carb diet, it's completely up to you. But if you're someone who's interested in exercise performance, which most of my clients are, most of them love exercise, it would be better to err on the side of higher carbs. Like carbohydrates fuel high intensity interval training, interval training, high intensity exercise, fats don't. Um, Carbohydrates fuel your nervous system and they aid recovery in a way that fats don't. Fats, you kind of just need like the, you need enough for optimal hormonal function and to make sure you're getting in your essential amino acids, sorry, essential fatty acids. Apart from that, you really don't need much more and there isn't necessarily a benefit to having much more. Um, Carbohydrates also are anabolic in a way that fats aren't in terms of their ability to stimulate insulin-mediated anabolic pathways for muscle growth. Carbohydrates also increase basically all exercise performance outcomes like we know this from various tests like basically the whole of sports science for the first 10 years of when sports science started was like looking at how carbohydrates increase performance it's especially true in endurance training but also true for a lot of resistance training and as i said on a more chronic level like aiding recovery so that's why i would prefer people sway towards a slightly higher carb slightly lower fat intake you'll also find that you can have much higher volume and anyone who knows me knows that I love food volume I think that's really important in all aspects of your diet especially when you're dieting for fat loss Um, I like to eat quite high food volume which means that I tend to cut down on fats which don't have much food volume because they are um, so much more calorie dense so fats have nine calories per gram whereas carbohydrates only have four protein also has four that means you can fill up your plate with loads of vegetables and carbohydrates whereas you can't quite do the same with fats for the same relative amount of energy so my suggestion would be go for 0.5 to 1 grams of fat grams gram 0.5 to 1 gram of fat per kilogram body weight and then the rest of your calories allocate to carbohydrates so once you've set your protein you've set your fats you've set the minimum amount of fats you need then you can set your carbohydrates now you actually don't need to set your carbs and fats and and as long as you're hitting your calories and your protein you will get fat loss results i've just added in a little bit of context there that if someone did want to look a little bit further they can What I really like to see with my clients is variation. So I like that some days they might have slightly higher fats in their diet because they had salmon that day instead of chicken. Or some days they might have slightly higher carbs in their diet. And that's absolutely fine and kind of how we should be living. Like we shouldn't be living off 
exact macros anyway. So variety is key. But um, there's some, there's sort of my thoughts on the distribution of fats and carbs if you wanted to do it quote unquote optimally or if you're more performance minded. I'm going to wrap up there because I think that's enough information that someone could get well on their way to fat loss success. And if you feel like you need any more help and support, then that's what I'm here for. I actually do this for a job. I am actually a coach, a personal trainer, if you will. So if you're interested in working with me or one of my excellent coaches or joining one of our coaching programs, then head to www.esgfitness.co.uk. If you've enjoyed this podcast and you think it might help someone, please do share. And if you've enjoyed it especially, you could like it. No, not like it. What is it? Leave a review and then put maybe put some stars. Maybe five stars would be good. I would be very, very grateful. Thank you very much for listening and have a lovely day.